grateful today that we can be together to hear the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Father, for what you are, what you've done, and what you're continuing to do in us and among us. We thank you, Lord, that we have a great Savior, that we have a wonderful future. In a world that seems so chaotic, so crazy, so much evil, you are God and you are good, and we can fully entrust ourselves to you. We thank you for the Bible that you've given us. We thank you we can go to it and know it's going to not steer us away, but yet point us to you, Lord Jesus, so that we can follow you. Father, we thank you for a great passage before us. We ask that you'd give us the ability to be able to look and understand to what you have for us in Romans chapter 4. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're in this passage called Father Abraham, which is a good one, good title for it, because it is almost all through this little section talking about Abraham, the importance of Abraham, and it's going to be a very, very important passage that we've gone through. I realize that some of you have gone through this and studied it many times, but I don't think it ever hurts to go over it again, particularly in a passage like this, because it's so significant what God is doing. So if you've been with us in recent weeks, remember that we were, we've been working in chapter 3. We're moving into chapter 4. Just for a few minutes of going to looking about last week, is it talked about last week about the unrighteousness of mankind and how God was, was righteous to bring judgment upon a world that had turned away against him. But it also had that beautiful section in the, in the third chapter, sometimes described as the famous sixth, six verses right there in the middle of chapter 3 where it talks about that we are saved by God's grace through faith and we are made righteous. Da, da, da. It's really compact, but it's really important, that famous six verses right there. And what you see is a part of that is right from that part of the famous six is, but now, apart from the law, God's righteousness, and it's a verse, that's a word we're going to hear a lot, we've already heard, God's righteousness, how are we made righteous? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that chapter already has got us really set up to, for chapter 4, which is very, very significant. If you have your Bible, you may want to go look at it with us. If you don't, you can follow on the screen. But one of the things I want you to think of before, maybe you're looking already at your passage, that's fine. But I want to do something else before we get there. Because what we're going to remember, or what we're going to see, is that when we go to this chapter, we have to be thinking back, way back, to the time when God called Abram to leave his family, to leave his land, to go to a place where God was going to lead him. So I put up there, like I said, one of the key passages understanding Paul's teaching here in Romans chapter 4 is remembering the important promise that God gave to Abram, later his name was called Abraham, recorded in Genesis chapter 12. So there's going to be a couple, like three major ones, chapter 12, chapter 17, or two of the key ones that we're going to be going back and forth with. But you're going to see that this passage is very, very significant on this. And I'll read it for you. This is the one that goes back in Genesis 15 when God told him what I was going to do for him. He told Abram, go out from you, your land, your relatives, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. And notice this, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That Abrahamic blessing that God gave us, that Abrahamic covenant that God made for his people is significantly important in this passage. Because in chapter 4, 
in this chapter 4, Paul's going to keep coming back to saying, what do we know about when did Abraham get this great promise from God? And how does that relate to what we see later in our story? Well, we'll see now as we go through this passage right here, verse chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul's going this way. He said, and what then can we say to Ab that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, had found? Okay? In other words, what can we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, had found? Now remember, Abraham, you know, Abraham is such an important person. It's really, we have nothing in our American world to, to ever get even come close to somebody who's as important as Abraham. Maybe Abraham Lincoln or something we could think of one of the greatest people on earth thing. In his culture, in their culture, Abraham, actually, that man, he was the great guy. I mean, he was an amazing guy. Not only that, but over centuries went by, the Jewish people, the stories about Abraham got bigger and better and more significant till you thought he was going to, like, walk on water at any moment because, I mean, he was, people thought so highly of him. And so he starts right off, we start off right off in chapter 4, where Paul says this. Now, what can we say then about Abraham, where forefather, according to the flesh, is found? What has he discovered about what God has for us? He said, if Abraham was justified by works, well, then he has something to brag about. Okay, stop right there. If Abraham was justified by works, he said, then he had something to brag. In other words, you could say Abraham saying, darn, am I good. Did I ever tell you the story about when we crossed against the Red Sea? Did I tell you about how I hit the thing and the water came out? And Did I tell you about this thing? And you don't realize just how special I am. And you could imagine him saying, you folks are sure lucky to have somebody like me. And this passage says, you know what? It ain't true. He's saying, you know what? You're a sinner like everybody else. And you're all, we're all in need of God's salvation. So he said, if Abraham was, just, was justified by works, well, then he had something to brag about. If that's how you get a relationship, in other words, the more you work and the better you do, the more chance you're going to get of being accepted by God. I mean, what's saying here, what Paul says, wait a minute. If Abraham was justified by works, well, then he had something to brag about. He said, not before God. Not before God. That's not what's going to happen. So he says in verse two, 3, for what does the scripture say? And then here he goes right back to that promise we just read. It talks about the fact that God told him, I'm going to go out, I want you to tell what I'm going to tell you. He said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's a key passage in the New Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to righteousness. In other words, it wasn't he became righteous by being a good man and working hard and doing his best. He said all Abraham did was he took God as, at his word. He believed what God said. God said, if you will come to me and recognize that you're a sinner in need of Christ and you come to it, you will find salvation in me. And so he said, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited for righteousness. Now notice he said in verse 4. Now, to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift but as something owed. For example, let's say you were working for a guy, and he says, hey, I'll pay you $50 if you work for me today. And you work hard, and at the end of the day, the boss comes by and says, hey, I've got a gift for you. Oh, well, thank you very much. What's that gift? Here it is, $50. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you, sir, for the $50. I needed the work, but, you know, it's not a gift. I worked for that money. I was out there in the sun, in the Texas seat. And I was out there, I got $50, so don't tell me that it's a gift. I mean, I worked for it. 
Okay, so notice that idea, the distinction between, you know, what's a gift and what's that. So he said, now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But notice what Paul says. But to the one who does not work, now notice the words in yellow, but believes on him who declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Two key words. He's saying, what he's saying, but to the one who does not work. Now, be really careful here. Paul's not saying, oh, isn't it great to be lazy? That's not his, Paul, his point at all. His point is saying that, wait a minute, for the one who does not work. In other words, the one who's not out there thinking, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I'm trying hard enough. I hope maybe God will help me. Paul's saying, uh -uh. to the one who does not work, but again, believes. By the way, this is the first time in the New Testament we have this word believes coming out, which is surprising. Who believes on him who declares righteous the ungodly. Now notice that phrase right there. Who declares righteous the ungodly. Now again, a Jewish person, a rabbi, reading goes, whoa, 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 you made a mistake there. Because you've said, but he believes in him who declares righteous the ungodly. You meant godly. God writes, God's righteous to the godly people, right? And Paul's saying, no, uh-uh, that's the other way around. The one who believes on him, Christ, who declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. It's not what we do, it's what Christ has done for us. That is a transforming passage of saying, here's what the gospel is all about. And this idea of faith being credited, something that's been given to you, something that you've you have that's brought to you, said you've been credited for righteousness. So notice what he says. All right, I gave you that example about the man who's working. How about, let me give you something from the Old Testament, from one of our greatest guys in the Old Testament, okay? And he says, you know who this is? He says, likewise, David. Because here's a good example. Great man, wonderful man. He had a couple big problems along the way. But he was a good man. He did a lot of good things. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing to the man to whom God credits righteousness. It doesn't mean that they earned it. They didn't do anything at this point, but he credited. He gave it to them. He gave those that are unrighteousness the status of being righteous. This is what Paul's been saying all along. David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You say, what did this guy work to do to get this? Nothing. It's pure grace. It's pure mercy. And you can see why many people, even to this day, go, well, that's not right. God would never do that. And yet, when you look in the Old Testament, I mean, there are verses that say God will never, never is going to credit this to the, uh, to the unrighteous. Paul said, this is what the gospel does. It not just transforms people, but it says it brings them in a whole new status in relationship to God. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing to the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Words, well, I haven't done enough. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what Christ has already done for you. And so he quotes from the Old Testament, how joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, not punished, but forgiven, whose sins are covered, not there in our face, but covered. How joyful is the man whom the Lord will never charge with sin, Again, he's talking, he's very close here in the things between like forgiveness and here when he's talking about the gospel. How joyful is the man whom the Lord will never charge with sin. And so then Paul in verse 9 starts taking this passage and saying, okay, I want to ask you a question. It's like the chicken and the egg kind of question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Egg or the chicken? 
And so notice it's in verse 9. Is this the blessing only for the circumcised then? Now stop right there. If this the blessing only for the circumcised then? And again, a Jewish rabbi here is there to go, yes, absolutely. We are the chosen people. We are the ones that God has called to be his people, his special people, his covenant people. These are the ones for males that shows that you have been circumcised. You're part of God's family. That's what happens. What about the other people out there? It doesn't worry about them. It's about us and what God has done. So in verse 9, is this the, sorry, is this the blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? And all the rabbis are going, no. No, it's not. It's not for them. For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Okay? And it goes on to say this. Well, how then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? This goes back to which, what was his status at that point? How then was it credited to him while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Now, the rabbi's got to go, oh, let's think of something else to talk about. No, he said, tell me first what happened here. How wasn't it credit while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, he hadn't been circumcised. In Genesis chapter 5, he hadn't happened yet. It was going to happen. It wasn't until chapter 17 that circumcision in Genesis comes out. And so he says, no, not while he was circumcised, but he was uncircumcised. Already, rabbi's getting nervous. I sure hope you're not starting to think that all these scummy peoples that live all around us are going to be in the same group that we're with because we are God's people. Not all these Greeks and Romans and weirdo peoples all over the place with all their idols. That's not about us. Thank good. We're just the right people, the good people. He goes, well, let's take that together. Now, while he was circumcised, but not, excuse me, but uncircumcised, and notice this verse 11, and he received the sign of the circumcision uh, uh, as the seal of righteousness that he had by faith. Again, not by works, but by faith. While he was still uncircumcised, he's saying, oh, rather goes, uh, I don't particularly like that passage. Why? Because you're reminding us that when it comes to Abraham, you know, he hadn't been circumcised. Well, yeah, that's true, but, you know, a couple chapters later it makes it pretty clear that he was circumcised at that point. Yeah, but here's the point. He's saying, it, when God gave that promise that he was going to be a blessing to the whole world, who do you think he was talking about? Well, I'm sure he's talking about mostly about us, the Jewish people. Paul's going, oh, I don't know. He said he received the sign of the circumcision as a seal of the righteous that he had, not by works, but by faith, while still uncircumcised. This was to make him, notice this right, the father of all who believe. Not all who work hard, all who try to do it, those who are making sure that they're Jewish. He says to make faith while it's still uncertain. This was to make him the father of all who believe, but are not circumcised. May be credited to them also. And the rabbi's going, Oy vey, I don't like that idea. You're saying that this person can be part of that great promise that God said to Abraham in the book of Genesis that he's going to do something that's going to impact the whole world. And you're thinking that, you know, here we are, God's holy people. And, and what about, he says, well, you're, you're not telling that these people are going to be part of that. He goes, well, who do you think you know, you're talking about here? Because he's saying, do you recognize what's going on? You, I am saying what Paul's saying. He's speeding what's going on and saying, here's what's happening. 
That was the promise that God said, that I'm going to be with you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to do all these things for you, and you're going to be a blessing to all. He goes, well, this is what God is doing. This was to make him the father of not just the Jewish people, but of all who not work but believe, who are not circumcised. They should be. Well, they're not. They're not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them. Well, they're not Jewish, and they don't wear, do what, do what we do. He said, I'm telling you, this is what it's all about. Verse 12, and he, Abraham, talks about here, became the father of the circumcised. Now, a Jewish rabbi again is going, no, that's not true. He is only the father of those that belong, had the DNA that goes all the way from Abraham all the way through today. And he goes, no, he became the father of the circumcised, not only to those who are circumcised, but also, notice this phrase, but also who follow in the footsteps of the, our father, uh, uh, the faith of our father Abraham while he was still uncircumcised. That is a very crucial verse. Look at it again. And he, Abraham, became the father of the circumcised. He wasn't Jewish. Okay? He, said he became the father of the, uh, the uncircumcised. Not only to those who are circumcised, but also who follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham while he was still uncircumcised, saying, you know what? God is opening that door to all who will come by faith, not by works. By those who confess that they have sinned, that they've turned against God, and God is saying, come, you are welcome. But I'm not Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're whatever you are, whether you're Swedish, you know, whether you're that, whether you're this. This whole point is, this is what God is doing. You're saying, no, it's only us, us Jewish people is all that counts. And he's saying, it's not the way it is. For the promise, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, excuse me, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Now notice what he's doing. He's making a little tack here. The promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world goes back to that promise in Genesis 15. Where God said, I'm going to do this good. what I'm going to do is going to impact the whole world. This is what he's doing to his descendants, that he would inherit the world, not through the law. He has been talking about circumcision. All those scummy people out there that aren't Jewish, they don't belong to God. Paul's saying, yes, they do. God is opening the doors for them. He said, not only that, but he said, it was not through, now it's not through the law either. Saying, yes, it is. You have to keep the law. And if they maybe keep the laws, maybe we'll find a way for them. They can become proselytes who go through our process, and they can maybe join us, but they're not part of God's people. In fact, the rabbis uh, in the latter times particularly, uh, when they were talking about the fact that, you know, well, there were people who were proselytes, people who were responding to Judaism and were becoming Jewish people, but they were not allowed to even use some of the terms. They couldn't call him Father Abraham. It was only for real Jews, people who had the right DNA. And he's saying, no, it's not the way it is, Paul says. It was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by works. No, the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith to believe that you can keep God's, God will keep his promise, that if we come to him through faith, he will bring us into relationship with him. Verse 14. If those who are of the law are heirs, you know, they like to talk about the people like your grandfather, they're down the road. If they're heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is canceled. For the law produces wrath. In other words, when you know the law, here's the law, here's the Ten Commandments, here's the 300 other ones plus that goes with it. What do you know? Well, I have broken them, a lot of them. Some of us more, some of us less. 
he said, for the law produces wrath. But where there is no law, there's no transgression. But what if the law is gone? You can't hold a person guilty if there's nothing that he knows that's what's right or wrong. And so notice what he does in this next verse. This is why the promise that we've been reading about is by faith. Again, not by works, so that it may be according to grace. Faith and grace, two great words. That the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not just the Jewish people, not to, not to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish people, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. That little phrase is very important. He is the father of us all. The rabbi goes, nope, don't believe it. Ain't true. It's only us. We are the ones. We are the chosen. He's saying, I'm sorry. I am throwing open the door of God's salvation. Whatever there are, wherever they're from, whatever it is, if they will recognize that Christ has died on the cross for their sin, that Christ has taken that sin and he has carried it away from us, we have a relationship with God, we will be with him forever. He said, you know what? You belong to Abraham's family too. And you can hear the rabbi going, no, not true, not true. You can see why people are little people that hated Paul. Who are you? to say that this is, we've, we've been believing this now for centuries and centuries, and who are you to say this? Well, I'm telling you it's the truth. This is what God has revealed to me through the scriptures. So he said, but to also to those who are of Abraham's faith, he is the father of us all in God's sight. As it is written, and he quotes again from, the whole from that passage in Genesis, I have made you the father of many nations. That passage we had before there. Now notice this phrase, he believed not worked. He believed in God, and then this wonderful phrase, who gives life to the dead. Now, which is interesting. He's been talking about how do we come in a right relationship with God? Is it open for Jews? I mean, open for Gentiles? Yes, it is. And he comes here, wait a minute, he said, he believed in God who gave life to the dead. It's interesting in the Jewish uh, uh, rituals and in a lot of the stuff they do, they have a thing called the 18 benedictions that they go through that a Jewish person would go through usually every day. That's one of the things that they would do. And in one of those benedictions, it has that phrase, the one who gives life to the dead. I mean, he's a Jewish guy, so he knows, he knows a lot of these liturgy things, and he's bringing them in here, but he's using it in a new context. It's the context of saying, you know what? He believes in God who gives life to the dead. In other words, he's now saying, do you realize what's happening? He said, the Jesus who died, who rose again, we're connected with him. And he calls things into existence that do not exist. God is doing new things that have never been heard before. He's called things into existence that do not exist. Against hope, and I love this little section right here, talking about Abraham. Against hope, with hope, he believed. That's an odd phrase. Against hope, nothing's going to happen for me. With hope, and yet in my heart, my heart really does hope, so that he talking about Abraham, became the father of many nations. Not one nation, the Jewish people, but many nations. According to what has been spoken, so will your descendants be. That passage there is so beautiful. God's love is being extended to the world. And thank God we live in a generation where more and more people are given more and more opportunities to hear the gospel than people have ever had. 
the inter and things that are happening on the, on the internet, in spite of, even though most of it is trashy, there are still good things that God is using to bring people to faith. I think Dara was talking about this uh, about earlier, about how much God is doing this, how many people are coming to faith, Muslims are coming to faith, hearing the gospel. And he says, he became the father of many nations according to what has been spoken. So will your descendants be. He, Abraham, considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old. If you're 100 years old, most of you are not expecting to have children anytime soon. Now, the way technology is going, it may be in our lifetime that you can be 100. In fact, there was an article in the paper about a woman who was almost 100. Let's leave it right there. But anyways, it says, he considered his own body to be already dead since he's about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, I'm probably not going to help out anything about getting a child, and we've kind of given up the ghost on that, except really he hasn't because he talked about that faith. And he said the deadness of Sarah's womb. You don't know a lot of 100-year-old women who are going get, you know, to get pregnant and have a child. But he said the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in faith. I don't know about you, but if I'd been waiting around for 100 years, I'd say, you know, uh, maybe it ain't going to happen. Fact is, it did happen. And can you imagine what it's like when you're 100? Well, of course, you might, women might say, I'm not sure I want to be 100 taking care of children. Uh, well, I'm sure God had a way of helping with that. But the point was saying, you know what? God's grace is amazing. And he can do anything. He has the power to do that. So without, and, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, without weakening in the faith, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. And notice this phrase, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. The word strengthened is important because it reminds us the fact that faith in many ways, often people use the illustration of a muscle. I know my daughter and son are taking classes with Becky now, and they're learning all these different muscles they need to do and how they work and how things go. And it says, as you work and you work, they grow, and your muscles get stronger when you exercise them. And he's saying, and that's what faith is like. When we exercise the faith that God gives us, the grace to be able to do that, we grow in faith. So he said, he didn't waver in unbelief, where the rest of us say, it ain't going to happen. He said, well, I think it will. But he was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God. I'll bet he gave glory to God after waiting for 100 years. After thinking, oh, it's not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. Guess what? You're going to have a child. Really? Yeah. Do you believe that? I'm trying, Lord. He said, you know, it's going to happen. And it did. He gave glory to God because, notice this phrase, he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That is a wonderful verse. That is a wonderful verse, chapter 20, I mean, verse 21. Therefore, here comes this word credit again. It was credited to him for righteousness. He didn't earn it. It was mercy. Now, it was credited to him. It was not written, excuse me. Now, it was credited to him. It was not written for Abraham alone. In other words, it wasn't just for the Jewish people, but also for us, the non-Jewish people. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So he goes on, if you draw to the end of this, and then this wonderful, really very strong passage theologically. He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses. Can you think of a verse in the Old Testament that we remember this? 
Isaiah 53. He's quoting here again from a very famous verse, Isaiah 53. He was delivered up for our trespasses. Christ was. But he was raised up for our justification. What a great verse that is. He was raised for our justification. This passage, which is so important, talks about the role of faith. And all through this, we keep hearing this word, faith, faith, faith. And, I, you know, it keeps reminding us, how big is our faith? For some of us, it's teeny-weeny faith. For some of us, it's really great faith. A lot of us, it depends what day you ask us. But Paul, well, I should say Christ, is asking, saying, will you trust me? If we went around this room and we asked everybody, what are some of the challenges you're facing, we'd have a big list of a lot of people who have a lot of issues that they're dealing with, many of them that we know nothing about. And the reality and the question is, is your God big enough to heal, deal what you're dealing with now? You know, a lot of us, we get discouraged. You know, I've been praying for Mr. So-and-so for 68 years. Da, 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 da. I keep praying, I keep praying, nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, after 69 years, this guy becomes a believer. And you go, Lord, forgive me for all my unbelief. God wants to grow your faith, my faith. I particularly say my faith. There are times where something I go, no, that's not going to happen. Really, why can that not happen? Well, because they just can't. Well, that's a really good reason for it. Okay. Really, so is that really too big for God, that issue that you're dealing with today? Well, in my head, I know that's true, but in my heart, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And Paul is saying, I'm not going to give you, I mean, it's, not, it's not like a you know, coin thing machine. You put in a quarter and you get a nice blessing. He's saying, but he is saying, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to, to trust you, that you will do what you've promised to do? It reminds us he keeps calling us to a life of faith and a path that sometimes is going to be difficult. And it keeps saying, do you trust me? Do you believe that I am big enough for your issues? Is your God big enough? Father, we thank you for this great passage of chapter 4 of Romans. Thank you, the Lord, that you have worked in so many ways through this verse, through this passage. We're grateful that we could be here today to hear the good news of the gospel, to hear that we who were many of us, most of us who are not from a Jewish background, but you have opened up the doors for all of us from all over the world that we might have a relationship, that they might have a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Be with us now, continue us, Lord, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name.